Welcome to the Travel Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Vandenberg. On our show, I interview and connect with leaders across travel, hospitality, and tourism. We talk leadership in our industry, what has shaped them, the successes, failures, and everything in between. Today, I'm speaking with Vanessa Miller, Senior Director of Food and Beverage at 21C Museum Hotels. Before we start, I wanna let you know about the Travel Leader community. Every month, I'll be gathering a group of travel leaders to continue the conversation about leadership. This is a group for travel leaders looking to share, reflect, and grow their leadership competencies with the support of myself as a trained coach. Learn more at www.thetravelleadercoach.com. Great to have you here today, Vanessa. Yeah, no, it's really, really great to be here. Welcome. Uh, so we, I, we were just talking about how we met, we met on a forward thinking panel for HLA, and I yeah. just really enjoyed hearing what you're doing with 21C museum hotels and your story of hospitality. So thought you would be great to have with us. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I always, um, I always get a kick out of being able to, to kind of share a little bit about my experience because I think it's a little unique for this industry. Uh, and so I, I, um, always welcome the opportunity. Well, that's the perfect bridge about that unique path to talk about what has been the red thread of throughout your career in travel and hospitality. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've, I've always been in in food and beverage and, um, I, I started, um, really, um, as, as a chef, that's kind of how I cut my teeth, uh, in this industry. Um, and, um, that's where I really fell in love, um, you know, with it. And, um, I think what, what really draws us all to hospitality is just a love for taking care of people, right? That's what it is at its core. And, and that's really how I, I first learned how to do it. And that's kind of how I've always come back to it, um, is uh, the best way that I know how to take care of somebody and how to take care of the, uh, for, uh, the, the people is by cooking for them. Um, and so that's kind of what I've always come back to. And, um, you know, throughout the course of my career, I've, I've learned to add different additional skill sets to that um, and have learned to get really good at, you know, running the business side of things that goes along with that, leading teams and all of that. But at the core, um, it's it's taking care of people um, and doing that by feeding them. Yeah, that's, you know, you answered a, a question that was coming up for me, which is, what is that connection between the people and the food? And what it sounds like is it's about it's it's a tangible way to show people you care for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can can you tell a little story about when did you know that food and beverage was going to be your thing? Yeah, you know, it was really early for me and um I'm not sure that I necessarily it's it's funny looking back on it I I I know that I I knew it but I was really young. I was I started working in restaurants when I was 16. Right. And um, I had just gotten my driver's license and my mom was like, that's funny that you want gas money. Where are you going to get that? Um, and so um, I, I went and I got a job and I got a job at literally the closest business to my house. It was a five minute walk and it was a pizza place um, and they were hiring a server's assistant. Uh, and um, so they, they hired me and I, I fell in love with the feeling of being a part of a restaurant team. Um, I grew, I grew up playing team sports. I started when I was five years old because I had a ton of energy and my parents needed me to, um, expel that energy somehow. Um, and so, uh, how I learned to, um, make new friends and meet new people had always been by being a part of a team. And so, um, working as, as a part of a restaurant team, um, it, it kind of felt like a really seamless transition. Um, and so I, I kind of very seamlessly, found a new group of people to call my own. And so um, when I went to college uh, a couple years later, uh, a very kind of natural thing for me was to try to find a restaurant job. And so I did that. And I grew up in Cincinnati, but went to college in Boston. And so um, when I started working at a restaurant in Boston, I saw food that I had never seen before, right? And starting to see fresh seafood and just really abundant produce and just there at the time there was a really different level of cuisine going on in Boston than there was in Cincinnati. And as I started to get exposed to that, that's where it really, really clicked for me that, Oh man, 
this is something that I really want to do. This is something that I really want to commit to as a career, not just as something that um, is going to help pay for gas money. Right. Yeah. You're so right. There is definitely just something about working in a restaurant and that community that you build with your colleagues. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of uh, it's, you know, you're going through a lot of tough stuff sometimes. So you build resilience together, um, build teamwork for sure. Yep. So, so what would, what would those colleagues, you know, in that kind of environment, what would they, how would they describe you as a leader? Yeah. You know, I, I, I try to be really energetic. I try to be really deliberate and thoughtful. Um, and I really try to lead with empathy. And that is not necessarily something that I think I could always say about myself. Right. And, um, you know, I think it's really important to acknowledge that very few people, I don't really think anybody, but I think very few people are born as great leaders. Right. I think leadership is something that you develop over time. And, um, so I wasn't always a great leader. <laughs> um, and I've certainly gotten better as I've gone. And some of that has been, you know, learned the hard way. I, I look back and I think about some of the things um, that I did as a manager, you know, when I first started, you know, cooking. And a lot of it was out of high stress, high need, right? If I had somebody, you know, in, in my first executive chef position, I remember I had somebody, you know, call off maybe an hour before their shift because they were, they were sick. The way that I responded was, okay, well, you can pick up your ne- your last paycheck next Friday, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that was it. Now somebody calls out, the first thing I ask them is, are you okay? You know, what's going on? Are you okay? And uh, listen, there is something wrong with calling out an hour before your shift. We'll talk about mm-hmm. that later. I don't care right now. I care that you're yeah. okay. Um, and it, that's not just something I say. It really is truly how I feel. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it, it takes it takes a level of maturity to get to that point. But mm-hmm. I do truly believe that it makes the teams that I work with stronger. It makes them feel safer. It makes them feel more cared for. And that makes them better teams. Um, and so mm-hmm. that is something that's really important to me, not just for the sake of my team, but for the sake of the other leaders that work for me. I want them to see that. That's how I want them to lead their teams. Um, because it's not the easiest way to lead, right? The easiest way to lead is to be reactionary. Um, yeah. But I think if you lead with empathy, um, though it may be harder and it may ultimately mean that you're taking on a little bit more of the emotional weight of everything that's going on around you. Um, it will ultimately mean that your team is better off for it. And therefore you are as well. Yeah. There's two things I picked up from that story. I mean, first I really appreciate and, and admire that you can look back at your history and your career and leadership and, just say out loud, Hey, I didn't always do it right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And to have that level of humility, that's, that's a really important feature and an attribute of a leader. So kudos for that. And secondly, I think the, the, uh, the, the other thing that I think is really important about what you said is that empathy, that that's not the easiest way to lead. But yeah. it's the it's the way that's going to have the most longer term return yeah. for your team and for, you know, getting results with with your team. So those are great points for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Who are you at your core beyond titles and the roles you play? I'm an athlete, so I'm really competitive. Um, and so that is definitely... Um, something that is just an underlying theme, I think, kind of at every every point in my life and um, certainly in my career, but also personally. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, it's I know that it is a, um, I know this is going to like, sound kind of corny, but like I am, I am a chef and I think that that is like, a, even though it's like a title and it's a role, yeah. I also think that that's like a part of my personality. Um, and like, I love, um, like you can kind of see it behind me, right? Like this, this bookshelf is full of, um, cookbooks that I, I love reading and thinking about, like, that's, what's fun for me is, um, the creative side of, um, thinking about food and thinking about, um, just kind of ingredients in that world. So, um, that is a really big part of who I am. 
Um, it's less of a part of my day to day in my career now, um, you know, in my current role. Um, but it is such a, a huge part of who I am and it's what keeps me grounded. Yeah. I mean that that's so, I, I love those two elements that you brought up one of being an athlete and a chef and a chef. What do you think are the particular qualities that define those descriptions for you that you really embody? I think discipline is a really big one. Um, you know, I think that, um, one of the reasons, a, a lot of the things that made me a successful athlete, um, also are things that made me a successful chef, um, and are also things that I think drew me to that as a, a career path. Um, and one of the big ones is that, um, in, in the same way that, um, as much time as you're willing to spend practicing as an athlete, like you'll see direct growth and improvement. Mm -hmm. The same is kind of true from a chef standpoint, right? If you're willing to put in the time, come in early, work mm -hmm. on this dish, get really good at brunelawing onions, all of those things, um, like you'll see that return. It's, it's about the mm -hmm. hard work that you are willing and able to, to put in. And something that I've always, um, you know, for better or for worse, sometimes for worse, um, I've been very good at working harder than those around me. Um, and so I've been very uh, quick to excel in kind of both both areas. And so I think and I've had the discipline um, to, you know, sometimes force myself to, to, to get up and go to work when I don't want to or force myself to get up and go to practice when it's really early. Um, and so I think that's been a really, really big one. Um, I also, you know, when you're a chef and when you're the, you know, the, the leader of a kitchen, um, it's a lot like being the captain of a team. It's a lot like being the coach of a team. And mm -hmm. a lot of the skills that you learn as a, as a player, um, you know, a, as a young player being coachable, right. Being a line cook, being mm -hmm. teachable. Um, but then as you grow and get better and become a captain and then ultimately be some, become somebody who's responsible for leading while being a part of a team. Um, those are very, very similar skills that you need to being a chef who's working side by side with your line cooks and responsible for getting a group of people who are kind of sometimes a ragtag group, um, with very different <laughs> backgrounds, um, to work together in tandem towards a, you know, a singular goal. Um, and it's a lot like, you know, service at night is like a game, right. And you're moving, you know, calling out, coordinating all the moving pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of those skill sets, um, really translated well as well. That, you know, on, at first, in, at first sound or look of what you just said, it could feel like athlete and chef. Those are such different ways to define yourself. And you just made such a great correlation between the two. I could actually, I've like picturing it in my mind that you're standing in the kitchen with a whiteboard and play by play, like mapping out, yes. okay, this is how we're going to do it. This is I our mean, play. Yeah. Like it's, it's funny. Cause so we're, we're in between chefs at our, our Cincinnati property right now. So, and that is where I started with the company, um, as, as the chef at this property. So I'm standing in and, and I'm helping that team navigate the transition while we look for the next person. And the reason that I say that is, is we, we, we have a whiteboard and that's how we run our day here. Right. And like we, we go to the board, right. And it's like, what do we have? What are we looking at? Who's doing what? Like everything lives on that board. And so it, it's, we're not, we're not necessarily writing plays on it, but like that is where we, we keep all the information and it's very similar. It's like, okay, who's doing what, who's responsible for what check this, like all of that. Um, and it's, it's all on the board. Absolutely. The yeah. other thing that you, you bring together is a concept. Um, and I'm just, where is it? I'm sorry. I'm reaching behind mm -hmm. me a concept. This is one of my favorite books, mm -hmm. Grit by Angela yeah. Duckworth. Have you read it? I have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, passion and hard work. That's really, yeah. you know, those things and discipline, how those things come together. You really seem to exemplify that concept. Um, so to any of our listeners, that's a wonderful book. It's one of my favorites. Um, and Vanessa, definitely just you, you described a lot of that in those stories. What are your unique strengths or qualities? You know, I think um, a, a lot of what we just talked talked about for sure. I think specific to um, to kind of the industry, though, 
I've got a pretty unique background in the sense that um, I've, I've held leadership positions at a pretty high level in, in both the back and front of the house. Right. And so um, I, the thing that I say a lot is that it, it's, it's pretty rare that you find a chef who loves um, spreadsheets as much as I do. Um, and it's pretty rare. And, and, you know, I was, I was an economics and political science major in college. And it's, so it's pretty rare that you find an economist who can see her scallop as well as I can. Right. And so, um, you know, for, um, for kind of to have, um, the ability to kind of think, you know, I think of it as being the, the chef kind of pieces, the creative, right. And, um, kind of that world. And then, you know, the economist is the, the ability to think about the financials, but I think more importantly to think um, strategically about patterns in the business, mm. um, to be able to do both of those things at a, at a pretty high level um, and, and to have done that, right, and to have had experience um, being high touch in the front of house and, and running, um, you know, kitchens in the back of the house, um, it's just equipped me to, to be able to handle a, a, a lot of different experiences that, that get thrown my way and to be able to lead a lot of different, you know, a, a lot of different types of teammates. Um, and, and in my role now, I, I oversee the, the food and beverage operations across all of our properties. And so that also means that I oversee the chefs and I oversee the food and beverage directors and, you know, the teams that report up into them ultimately. And so, um, you know, it can be difficult to lead somebody if you're not necessarily capable or haven't done their job. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to have been able to have done just such a wide breadth of jobs makes me capable of, um, leading a lot of different types of people. Um, and, um, again, it's not, it's not something that, you know, nobody else in the industry has for sure, by any means, I'm not, um, you know, a singular uh, entity, but it's definitely um, a very unique skill set. It's absolutely unique. I've struggled with our own hiring for our restaurant for chefs. And for some reason, I had this idea in my head that they would embody all of these strengths Mm -hmm. and found out very quickly that the ones who can cook really well are not very good at <laughs> cost of goods and yeah. inventory and yeah. ordering <laughs> processes, yeah. which includes a lot no, of economics. Notoriously <laughs> difficult to wrangle. I, I admit it. Yes. Right. So, I mean, I could definitely see how that is very unique for someone yeah. who, and also the personable side. Yeah. Never. <laughs> I have not my a moments. Lot of, I definitely have yeah. my moments. I will admit it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it gets pretty hairy in the kitchen, yeah, so I do understand we'll that. Yeah. yeah. But for sure, the personal side is not always always the best feature of yeah. of the kitchen staff. But it's a very highly stressful uh, yeah. environment, so I completely get why. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. What's What are some stories or experiences that have shaped who you are today? You know, it's 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 so funny. Like that was probably in kind of prepping and reading your questions. That was the one that I, I struggled with um, the most because like all of, all of them really, like I, I think of myself as like the culmination of all of the experiences that I've had. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to pick out, you know, and some of the ones sure. that like the ones, some of the ones that stand out the most to me are um, like in terms of just, man, what are the most memorable experiences of your career are not necessarily the ones that have shaped me the, the most. They're maybe the ones mm. that have caused me the most trauma, you know, like the time that the gas went out to the line in the middle of a Friday night service. Like, um, but, you know, I think um, openings are always ones that really, really inf- mm-hmm. like have stuck with me and I think have been the ones that um, do the most to develop you in a very, very quick way um, because so much goes in to an opening and so much happens in just such a small amount of time. And you are mm. um, responsible for so many moving pieces, you know, like being able to open a, a restaurant, a hotel or hotel restaurant, right. is such a different skill set than running one. Um, mm-hmm. And being able to do that at the same time as running restaurants, right, is a completely different ballgame. And we just opened um, 21C's uh, 10th property opening uh, this past July, August. Um, mm-hmm. And that was my first opening 
with 21C. And we did two food and beverage outlets in that property. Um, and we opened those uh, three weeks apart um, with a, wow. a hotel opening mixed in in the middle there. Wow. Um, and that that was a gauntlet. And um, that was my first, it was not my first restaurant opening. I, that was maybe, uh, we'll call that number 11 for me on restaurants. But that was my first hotel. And right. um, that was uh, an incredibly formative uh, and incredibly, um, like, I am still kind of understanding how much I learned from that um, and how uh, much better that made me. You know, I've, I've always considered myself pretty good already at um, strategizing and, you know, staying on top of my lists and just being organized. But, like, how much better that forced me to be at doing that. Um The other one that I don't get to talk about a ton is when I worked in New York City at the Royalton Hotel, um, that was a union property. And that was a very unique experience. And um, it's not necessarily something that I would inherently seek out to do again, because there are a lot of things that are very tricky about uh, managing at a union property. Mm-hmm. But um, the skills that I learned in dealing with with a union, but more importantly, managing a group of people who, frankly, if they did not want to do something, didn't have to, <laughs> um, learning how to manage them um, and get them to want to do something was an incredibly valuable experience. And one of those experiences that um, at the time I knew I was getting good at it, but it was in my jobs afterwards that I truly started to understand how much I had grown as a manager. Um, And like, that was the job that made me the leader that I am, right? That was the job that forced me to mature in a lot of ways, right? Because like, God help you if you yell at a union employee, right? God help you if your first response is um, not necessarily an empathetic one. Um, and, and so that's like, that's the job that forced me to not have whatever my initial gut reaction was going to be Mm. to a situation to breathe, take two seconds and then react and respond. Mm -hmm. And that has been a valuable thing to be able to do regardless on who is the other, Mm -hmm. who is on the other side of my, my reaction, right. Or whatever my reaction is. Um, and so like, that is probably, if I had to look at kind of just all of my roles, all of my jobs and think about what contributed the most to you becoming a better manager. It's that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What it seems like is that the, the evolution and the development that you went in that emotional intelligence piece and, Mm. and emotional awareness, emotional regulation. um, I can imagine that's huge in those situations for sure. Can you describe a time when you felt most alive or fulfilled? I mean, opening, opening this, this restaurant, um, really this this hotel again felt huge. Um, it's one of the, like, it's one of the things where like the highs are high and the lows are low. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, the way that, um, we structure, um, our openings, um, you know, we do, uh, two weeks of, of hands-on training. Um, and then we do test meals and, um, we do, uh, six test meals and they're progressively, um, more involved and more difficult. And to the point where we have a, we have a test meal where our goal, like we literally say, let's break it. Right. The goal is to break it because the only people we invite to test meals as a rule is, and this is a direct quote, it's people who have to love us anyway. It is not friends and family. (laughs) It is not press. It is not previews. It is literally, it's your mom, it's your dad, it's your cousin. It's anybody who, um, and we don't ask for feedback. We know, we know what's, we know what's working. We know what's not. It's an opportunity for us to get the reps in so that we can find, um, the things that need to get better and we can kind of work out our kinks. Um, and so, you know, our, our goal for one night is to mimic a Saturday night and to try to break it and to try to find where the flaws in the system are, because we'd rather do that ourselves than have somebody else do it for us. Um, and so, you know, again, the, um, you know, the, the highs and the lows of that, are extreme, right? If, and trying mm-hmm. to keep a team 
um, feeling really positive and good, even though that's what you're trying to do <laughs> is, um, mm-hmm. is really challenging. And so the night after you break it, the, you break it on the second to last night. And then on the last night, you cut the covers by about 25%. You space them a little better. And the goal is to have the perfect service Then you give everybody two nights off and then it's opening day. Um, right. And so, um, the, that is like, and it's funny to me because again, this is my first opening with 21 C it's not my playbook, right? It's, it's theirs. It's my boss's. She's done this for every single 21 C opening. Um, and I'm like, we sure is this going to work? You know, like, and and she's "Mm, trust the process. And so, yeah, we, we broke it. And then, um, man, we had the most perfect service <laughs> the, the last night. Wow. And that high and just seeing everybody kind of relax into it, knowing that, like, we got this because no way in hell can it be worse than last night, right? There's just something to that and seeing everything click and that feeling of everybody feeling really good. And then knowing that you're going into um, a week that is well-controlled, um, and that you're mm-hmm. set up for success and the team knows that they're set up for success. And then like, it's, it's just off to the races. And that was a really, really re- rewarding experience. And, um, like, I still, I still feel incredibly proud of that. And, you know, we just got, um, literally just this week, we got our, our first really big review for that restaurant. Um, and it was, it was, it was a, a stunning review. It was as kind as we could have mm. possibly hoped for. Um, and, Again, it's just a testament to the work that goes into it and the processes that are used for it. And like, it's, I'm still riding high on that whole process because <laughs> it was incredibly oh. difficult and incredibly challenging. I lived in the hotel room above the property or above the, above the restaurant for about two months, right? Like, that's hard. Um, wow. But when it works, it feels really good. Um, right. And it still feels well, really good. good. Oh. I was getting goosebumps. Right? As you like it's just like that. I I still feel it in my stomach, right? Like I and I Yeah. I still get like I, I, I get emotional when I talk about it because um so many people um put so much into making it such an incredible um space and concept and menu and um you know style of service and it doesn't happen on accident, right? And right. and I know that sometimes we take for granted the fact that like if something feels really seamless, that it must've been seamless. Um, right. But um, yeah, it didn't happen on accident and I'm incredibly proud of everybody involved because it took a lot of work, wow. but that work is getting recognized. Well, well I can feel your energy and pride in that accomplishment. And what I'm taking away from that is that, meaningful things aren't always roses and sunshine. They're actually when we go through really hard things together and we come out on the end of it better. Yeah. Um, I want things that are hard fought. I do, you know? Um, Right. And like, give me that all day because it just, you're right. It it feels, it feels better. Yeah. And, and the, you know, that process piece of it, you know, that it's about going through that that methodical process and where, where you end up is actually not even the most important part. You know, yeah. just, you there's that knowing that you'll get there because yeah. the process is right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what do you stand for no matter what? I think the empathy, right? Like I will always mm-hmm. go back to that lead with empathy. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that that is, that can manifest itself in a lot of ways. Right. Um, but, but the way that I think like that, that statement's a really important statement. And I think what it ultimately boils down to me is that as a leader, um, I feel, I feel that the onus is on me to be able to say that I did everything that I could for an employee. Right. Mm. Cause I, I acknowledge that not every employee is going to be a good fit for the role mm-hmm. that they're in or for our company, right? And that is not a reflection, a poor, like a bad reflection on them. It's not a bad reflection on us. It's like in the same way that two people can date and maybe they just weren't made for each other. They were made for other people. Mm-hmm. That's, they don't, they're not bad people, right? Um, but what is really important to me is that if we ever have 
somebody that we have made the decision to hire, right? So at one point we believed that they should be a good fit for us. Um, but for whatever reason, we're moving down the path of maybe not, um, that if we are ever going to, to part ways with them, or if it is ever just not going to work out that we can feel like sound in the statement that we did everything we could. We made the expectations mm -hmm. clear. We gave them every opportunity. We had the conversations, right? And that can be as simple as if I have somebody who's consistently showing up 20 minutes late to their shift, have the conversation, understand the why. Is it because they don't care and they're just mm -hmm. not leaving their house early enough? Or is it because they're having issues with dropping their kid off at school on time? right? Like mm -hmm. those are two very different things. And if we don't come from a place of empathy enough to care, we're never going to know. Um, and so like, to me, it all comes back to having the empathy and care to make sure that we've done everything we can to allow people who are a part of our team to be successful. That includes ourselves, right? Um, and to be able to say, we did everything we could, this was not on us. And right. if we can say that, then we've done our job. If yeah. we can't, and again, we're, we're, we're not going to be perfect all the time. We're going yeah. to make mistakes. And that's the empathy for ourselves, right? We're going to make mistakes. Yeah. We got to learn from them. Where did we yeah. let this person fall through the cracks? Where did we make a mistake? Okay, we're going to do better next time. Um, yeah. And so to me, like, that's, that's what it boils down to is like, yeah. That is, that is the non-negotiable. And like, that is for me and how I want people to think about me. That's how I want people to think about a company. That's how I want mm -hmm. people who are growing as leaders under me to like, to, yeah. to think about themselves. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you pointed something out that, uh, I think it took me several years to experience this and learn this in my own management of people. And, um, I kind of came to the same conclusion, not framed in this idea of empathy, but it was also a way to like self console myself in these mm -hmm. situations that, well, you know, I know I'm not a perfect human being, but if I gave it everything I had in a situation and it didn't work out with that employee, employee, I knew I could walk away from that relationship yeah. with my head held high. Yeah. Um, so that is such a crucial point. And what I think is really valuable about what you just said is that one, you know, empathy can be this buzzword. And a lot of the way you describe it is around caring uh, about your employees. And what's I think even more significant about what you said is the value that empathy has in that it shows your commitment to a person that you've hired. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm all in with you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, um, that is something that's really key of why that's the why behind the empathy yeah. piece. I mean, yeah. beyond being just a good human being, of course. Yeah, but I, but I do, I think it's a commitment, right? Like that's exactly like, that's a, that's an incredible word to use uh, around the hiring process because it's just that, right? Like yeah. it is, it is a commitment that we have made to somebody that, um, we're, we're investing in them and it's commitment we're making to ourselves, right? That we're investing in this person because mm -hmm. you know it, right? It costs, it costs money to onboard and train somebody. Um, and, um, like yep. at, at the baseline level, like that's, that's a monetary commitment. It takes time and energy and input to train somebody. That's a time commitment. Um, it takes emotional energy to, take the time to train somebody Absolutely. like there's a ton that goes into it. Um, and you're also asking them to put in time and effort mm -hmm. to learn new skills. And mm -hmm. I think it's also like, it's a two way street. Right. And yeah, to me, this is something mutual. I talk a, a about a lot when we hire somebody and when I'm interviewing someone, the thing that I make really clear to them is that, um, this is not just about me deciding if I think you're a good fit. Right. It's, as much, if not more, about you deciding, are we a good fit for you? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, like, I think 
like that piece of it sometimes can get lost too. And I, I don't want that to be something we lose sight of. Um, right. But yeah, it's a commitment. And I think if we don't take the time to say that out loud, it allows us to be more flippant in, in right. how, how we think about um, our teammates. And um, sure. I don't ever, I, I don't ever want to be somebody or a place that, that thinks flippantly about our team. And I, we're not. And I think um, it's because we deliberately choose not to be. Right. And you have that mindset for yeah. sure. When have you underestimated yourself? All the time. <laughs> all the time. I'm a millennial woman. I do it all the time. Right. Um, no, I mean, listen, I, I constantly am um, undermining my my own authority in my mind and second guessing myself. I, I almost did not a- apply for this internal promotion job um, because I was like, why would they give it to you? <laughs> um, you know, like it, it is yeah. a, it is a constant struggle that I face and I look forward to the day where um, I uh, don't underestimate myself. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I have um, two best friends who would never let me do that. And so I'm smart enough to, um, if I'm feeling like I'm going to do that to loop them in and they kind of, you know, help me yeah. come to my senses and say, don't you dare, you better apply or you better push back or you better tell that person where they yeah. can, you know, shove it. Um, right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it is, that is, that is the part of me that I continue to need to work on the most. Um, because like, it is the part of me that like, when I get frustrated or when I get, um, I, insecure, like that's, that's what comes out is I start to doubt. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I underestimate myself and, um, you well, know, you're not funny. alone in that. No, I know. I know. <laughs> it's sure. like, that's what I said. Like I'm, I'm a millennial woman. So yesterday, right. um, but, um, it is something that like I'm aware of and I'm, you know, uh, again, I, I'm working on it, but, um, you know, it is funny because like, show me <laughs> it is, it's never tied to, um, like it's never tied to like actual tasks, right? Like show me a walk-in full of like whole chickens and tell me you have two hours to do this. And I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah. But, you know, show me a job description and ask me, do you think you're qualified? I'm like, oh, probably not. Um, you know, right. so it's, it's really, it's, it's things that are tied to some like inherent need to like devalue myself. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I, there's a, a, a book I could write on it, I'm sure. And there's right. plenty of books about it, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a whole it's psychology the, it's the behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a natural part of our human existence. And, mm-hmm. and you're right. I think I think there is a tendency to be this to be very common among women. Yeah. Um, and that's something that with with my job as a coach, that mm-hmm. that is something I really uh, yeah. take very seriously and, and is something I'm really passionate about and helping professionals with. Um, and, but I think what's even, what's, what's really important about what you said, and, and actually it's, it's, I'm realizing it's a, it's a pattern in, in the answers I've received from this question, how you overcome it. It's Mm, always going to be there, but but how do you get past it? And something totally unexpected that's come out in some of the answers is what you said about leaning on your community, leaning on your people to be a like sort of like checkpoint, a mirror for you um, that that reflects back at you like, hey, you've got this like don't don't get in your head about this like and I'm gonna yeah. hold you accountable yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the, the best friends and your best community will do that yeah. and push you right yeah, yeah that's what it's yeah yeah no and it's, sure. it's so funny how like I, I feel really good at doing that for other people. Um, and I think right. we all are much better at doing that for other people. Um, and, yeah. um, so we just need to continue to do that for each other, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's that object, it's a little bit more of that objectivity. Yeah. Um, so that's a great lesson, you know, lean yeah. on your community and ask for a second opinion yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. What impact do you strive to have in the hospitality industry? Um, you know, I, um, 
I think it is no secret that, um, you know, over the last, let's call it three to five years in particular, um, the hospitality industry has been under a bit of a microscope and has had a little bit of a reckoning. Um, and that the standards of, of what, um, what is expected of, of leaders in this industry, I think, are, are shifting. And that's great. And I love that. And I want to be a part of that. Um, you know, I think um, when I when I first started thinking about cooking and being a chef and just this being a career, right, it, it wasn't necessarily something that um, felt uh, glamorous isn't the word, but felt um, it, it didn't feel like something to necessarily be proud of to want to do. Right. Like, mm. and I think that there's a little bit of a stigma around certain, um, certain parts of the industry and certainly, you know, the kind of things that happened during yeah. COVID didn't help with that. And I think there are right. a lot of things that have, um, there are a lot of things that have gotten better. There are a lot of things that still need a lot of fixing. And I think that there's a lot of development, um, that this industry is ripe for. And I hope to, be a part of continuing to legitimize um, the fact that like you can have a really robust career in this industry. You can work for really excellent people and have a really solid life and make a good income and be ha- like that all of the things that you may want from a quote unquote normal or standard uh, career path. Right. Um, you can also get, from hospitality, mm-hmm. restaurant, right, from, from this career path, um, and that it can be rewarding in different ways than, than are possible in, you know, other yeah. career paths. Um, and so, you know, I think um, that's not necessarily, um, like, earth-shattering or mind-blowing, but, it, but I think it's important. And mm-hmm. I also really, really, truly just want to see more women making decisions in important rooms and leading kitchens Mm. and running big companies (laughs) like I do. And, um, I'll, you know, I'll say that till I'm blue in the face. Oh, so, so, so much behind everything that you said. And, and that is no small potatoes, which it's not, no, it's not because, Yeah. And because, I mean, what you, what you're really trying to do is inspire people to mm-hmm. be in this industry and do their best in this industry and realize how much opportunity there is. And that is exactly what we need right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, because we're struggling. Uh, yeah. Our businesses and companies are always short staffed and always looking for good uh, talent um, and, uh, there is so much opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your, your desire to contribute to that is, is super helpful and beneficial. That's awesome. So we already talked about this a little bit about your, the leadership skill you most rely on to lead people and teams. You've, empathy is such a great one, but is there anything that else that comes to mind that you really use on a daily basis? I think communication is a really big one. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm never not talking. Um, I'm never not like circling. Um, and mm-hmm. I try to kind of just always um, be walking around talking to people. The other really big one is I, I think we all got to laugh, um, you know, mm. and I, I try to laugh with people on the team as much as possible. Um, I, it is a stressful, stressful industry. It is a stressful world we live in. Um, and like, I, I need laughter. And so, um, like I, I need to have fun and, um, I need my team to laugh a little bit too. Um, and so that is something that, um, again, like I don't, you know, I don't schedule it on my calendar and I don't think, okay, five minutes for laughter at two o'clock. Um, right. but you know, like it's, um, I really try to have a relationship with people where there's a level of comfort around taking, you know, taking a couple minutes, you know, every couple of hours to just kind of just take a second and chat, right? Like if I have a second to go make a little snack for people, like I'll do that every now and then. Um, mm-hmm. and to just like take a moment to 
to breathe deeply. And this is again, something that like 10 years ago, if I saw somebody for two seconds without something to do, I was like, what's that lazy person doing? How are we not filling their entire eight hour shift right. with movement? Right. And then I'm like, God, we got to take five minutes every now and then. <laughs> um, right. Like it is, you know, and so it's just, I think remembering that just because we are clocked in does not mean we check our humanity at the door and yeah. that uh, we need to embrace that and just like take a couple of minutes every now and then to just right. enjoy it. Yeah. Bring some joy and lightness in this difficult world um, that we live in and yeah. our daily struggles for sure. Yeah. That in that communication piece that you mentioned, that's another one of those things can be like a buzzword, like, Oh, we need to communicate better. Mm -hmm. Is there something, what is it, what is it that you are communicating on a, on a daily basis that you think moves the needle in terms of performance and, and your team? I think, I think the most important thing is, is not necessarily the what on any given day. It's that there is communication, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think what often happens in situations where maybe there's not consistent communication is that when there is a need, a high need for something to be communicated, there are not clear lines for it, or there's not a, like a well-practiced means for it, right? And so all of a sudden you have a need, but not a reflex. Um, but to me, what's most important is that it be a reflex so that if there is a hot need, it's already like, it's already tangibly right. something that you're doing on a consistent basis. And so like really candidly, truly, like sometimes it's just me going up to saying, going up to somebody every two hours and saying, need anything? You looking good? Okay. We're at 61st night. Right. And then I walk away and that's it. Yeah. Um, and that like, that can be the, that can be what I say to them five out of the six times that I'm doing the rounds that day. But maybe that sixth time, the thing that I'm com communicating is, Oh, and this person called off. Right. Um, right. and we need to figure X, Y, or Z out. Um, right. but because I am in the mode of moving around frequently, I am in the kind of mode of just constantly communicating. Like they know that they're going to hear what they need to hear from me at some point. And, and I just like, I think like, I think more than anything, half of like the problems with communication that exist in a workplace would probably like disappear if people were right. just more consistently practicing communicating. Um, right. And, and having, it seems like having those, like those habits of yep. communication yep. and the channels of communication. Yep. Exactly. And like the point that you made about, it's not even always what you are communicating, but it's the fact that you are communicating so that the, the result is actually the connection that yep. you're having with the person mm -hmm. also not knowing what could come out of that conversation. Yep. You know, yep. I mean, maybe in, you, you just stop by someone and ask them, Hey, how's your day? And then all of a sudden they tell you about this family, tr yeah. you know, tragedy that's happened in their yeah. lives. And it gives yeah. you a piece of information to work yeah. with. And, and like, I acknowledge, like I'm good at communicating because it's, it's a practiced thing, but not everybody is. Right. And so right. how do I account for somebody else not being great at communicating? I communicate for us, for them. And right. if they have something they need to say, that me bridging the gap of that communication will be like, oh, I forgot to tell you this. Right. Like, again, it's just creating right. that opportunity for it to go kind of, you know, both ways. And then you have, yeah. you know, uh, and, and sometimes the need is, is a bigger need, right? Sometimes it's a, we got to have a conversation. We need to sit down and talk about this. Right. But again, if the only times that you're sitting down and talking about something or the only time you're communicating is when there's a problem, that's a problem, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like that, that doesn't feel good. So right. again, like I think, um, I think just, I, I've never, I've never wished people communicated less. I've right. never seen yeah. it be bad. 
Right. We, we, Um, we can all, there's not, there's not such a thing as, as over communicating. Right. Yeah. I've yet to see that. (laughs) Doesn't exist. Right. Right. So, um, that, that would be my thing. Yeah. Well, we're almost at the end of our uh, discussion today, but before we go, I'd love to ask you, what vision would you pursue if you had everything you needed to succeed right now? Um, that is, I, that, that's such a hard question. It's like the, what would you <laughs> do if you knew you right. could not fail kind of thing? Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, um, I really... Um, I really think that, um, you know, I'm based in Cincinnati and I'm really excited about where Cincinnati's just overall scene is is going and and where it's overall just kind of, you know, hospitality world is going. Um, are you familiar with the, um, the restaurant Longman and Eagle in Chicago at all? No. I'm no. not. Okay. So it's a, Tell it's, me a about it. it's, 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 it's a nice, it's a nice restaurant in Chicago, but it's got, um, basically a, a small inn on top of it with eight rooms. Like, um, and I think there's something very cool about just kind of restaurant meets very, very small hotel. Um, that like is I, very boutique, but very small. I don't know. Um, it's a very not well thought out situation, but like, again, but there this is a really, dream, a potential is, dream. Yes. There are very, some very, very gorgeous buildings here in Cincinnati that, um, you could just, if, if, if money were no object and I could not fail, man, That's that'd be an amazing. interesting thing to chase down. Oh, well, I, I am going to send you, there's this place in Woodstock, Vermont, and it's kind of like that, but like, you know, country Vermont mm-hmm, style. Mm-hmm. It is it is a very small inn with yeah. a, I believe it is, it has a Michelin star restaurant mm, mm-hmm. um, and it's run by two ladies and it's just fat. It's fabulous. I've stayed, I stayed there offhand for my son's hockey tournament because nice. it was the only place that was available and yeah. it was like this hidden gem. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, I'll send it to you for yeah, give you some reason to come to Vermont. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been a fabulous conversation. Is there anything else you would like to tell about yourself or 21C Museum Hotels today? No, no, I think we really covered it. And I, again, I, I appreciate know, the opportunity to chat through it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Vanessa. I've so much enjoyed our conversation. Until next time, I'm Rachel Vandenberg, and this is the Travel Leader Podcast.